we want to continue our series of messages dealing with a, the reset for relationships and I didn't finish the sermon the last time we got together I was talking about a tale of two sisters so I'm gonna finish it today I want to preach about a tale of two sisters part two if you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29 I'm going to read verse 31, Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 29 and 31, listen to what God's word says. So Leah conceived and bore a son. I'm sorry. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Amen. There was a, there is a man in Russia and he has this very, very rare disorder. And it's so rare and painful in the sense that most folk that get it die at a young age. And it's a, it impacts his spinal cord and his nervous system. So he can't, his body and muscles won't respond to his nerves. And he can move his head and he can move one hand and a part of that arm. So he can get on a computer, he can get in his wheelchair with the remote he can feed himself, but it's a difficult situation for him to be in. And there's a doctor in China who has been working on doing a head transplant for human beings. This is not science fiction, this is scientific. So this man in Russia with this disorder has volunteered to allow them to do a head transplant. And they're, the whole idea is to take somebody, a man who is brain dead, get the approval from his family to remove his head, to take the man in Russia, remove his head and put it on this body. They've already done it with mice. They got 80 surgeons who've agreed to help with this. Of course, doctors from all over the world are saying it won't work and they're saying even if it does, it's unethical and all of that. But the very fact this man has volunteered to be the first one for a head transplant. But then a couple of years ago, the man in Russia fell in love with a woman. They ended up getting married. They had a baby. And he backed out and said, I'm keeping my head. He was thinking about how he loved this woman. This woman loves him his responsibility to nurture and care and take care of his child. He said, I got to keep my head. I know these are tough times we live in. And I know that there are challenges with friendships and relationships and in marriage. But y'all, when you really love somebody, especially when you have responsibility with children, you can't lose your head. Here in Genesis chapter 29, We've already met these two sisters, Leah and Rachel. We've met their father, Laban. We've met Jacob. And, but I want you to understand in Genesis 29, these sisters are victims. 
They live in a male-dominated culture. They are victims. These, these women are treated like property. They're treated less than human. That's why their father went into a business deal with Jacob for them to marry him. They, they were victims. They had no choice in this situation, in this male-dominated culture. Matter of fact, these sisters are trying to figure out fundamentally how do you survive living in a male-dominated culture when your own, fa- and your own father doesn't even see you as human, when your own husband sees you as less than an equal? And I want just you to understand these are victims here. They had no choice. But we're in the 21st century. And sisters, y'all got choices. I know we live in a male-dominated culture. I am not trying to belittle that. I'm I'm sure that's difficult living in a sexist society that you have the majority uh, of people making these federal laws are white men and they don't see black sisters the way they're supposed to be seen. It's a male-dominated society. I understand that. I'm not trying to belittle that. I'm not even trying to act like I can identify with that. I cannot. My white friends, they don't know what it's like to be hated because of the color of your skin and deal with oppression because of that. They can't identify with that. And I can't identify with a black sister living in a country that is male-dominated and not seen properly as a female. Y'all do know in this nation there was a time that it was against the law for women to wear pants. So you had white males telling grown women what they could wear and can't wear. Time in this nation where women couldn't, it was against the law for them to vote. They could work and pay taxes, but they couldn't vote. They had taxation with no representation because this is a male-dominated society. And when Roe versus Wade was overturned, stop thinking that's about abortion. That's not about abortion. Talking about they pro-life. You're not pro-life. You put all those brown kids in cages and separated them from their parents, and some of them still haven't reconnected with their. You're not pro-life. That's about political power. That's them trying to manipulate you to get you to vote for them. That's, That's what that's about. And now in this country, uh, healthcare is being impacted, especially for black sisters, because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We already got issues with black sisters dying in childbirth in this nation. Y'all, this ain't no third world nation. This is supposed to be a progressive nation, and black sisters are dying in childbirth? And because of the overturn of, overturning of Roe versus Wade, the, the experts say it's going to be a, a 33% increase of black women dying in childbirth in this nation. That is not pro-life. And this is a male-dominated nation that we live in, but I just want to say I get that, but sisters, you still have choices. Leah and Rachel didn't have a choice. You choose who your friends are. You choose who you enter into a relationship with. You choose who you marry. You choose whose children you bear. And, and we got to make sure that we keep in our heads with these choices. 
Now with these sisters, I wish somebody would have told them that while you're trying to figure out how to survive in this male-dominated culture, I wish somebody would have told these sisters, you got to learn how to turn to each other, not on each other. You got to understand the importance of having sisters in your support system. It's because you want somebody that can identify with what you, a black sister going through this in this male-dominated culture. Well, another black sister can identify with that. You all have to understand that that one could put a thousand to flight. Moses said two could put ten thousand to flight. Y'all do better when you work together. You got two sisters in Genesis 29 and 30 that only talk when they are fighting over a man. This is a man they have only known for seven years. They've known each other all their lives. And after knowing each other all their lives, they let a man that they've only known for seven years come in and mess them up. They turned on each other, not to each other. That's, you, you got to understand the power of sisterhood. Our church is 102 years old. I don't know where we would be without sisters, without the support of black sisters, without the sacrifice of black sisters, without the serving of black sisters. This church would not be as great as it is had it not been for the sisters coming together. Uh, Titus in scripture, Titus was a young preacher, but he had a major ministry. When you're reading Titus and it talks about Paul placed him in Crete, he wasn't in Crete with some small little church in Crete. He was an overseer, the bishop of all the churches in Crete as a young man. And Paul wrote him a letter. It's called Titus in the Bible. And what Paul told him is, he said, teach the older women to teach the younger women how to do properly with their families, how to take care of their household, how to raise their children, how to love their husbands, how to respect their husbands. Because you got sisters that need sisters in their support system. But there, here in this text, you got sisters turning on sisters in Genesis 29 and 30. But I pray that y'all know the power of sister, the creativity God has given to you the femininity that God has given to you, the sensitivity that God has given to you, the ingenuity that God has given to you, and when y'all come together, the difference that that could make. Bessie Coleman was the first black female in the world to get a pilot's license in 1921. She was born and raised in the, in the Dallas area, but she couldn't, she couldn't learn how to pilot a plane in the United States in, in the 1920s because of racism and sexism. So she had to move all the way to France, had to lead a country, go to France to learn how to pilot a plane, got her pilot's license, the first black female in the world to do that in 1921. And just a couple of weeks ago, American Airlines that has a hub in Dallas, Texas, they put together an all-female crew as they were trying to honor Bessie Coleman. They put together all-female, cause she was from the Dallas area, so they put together all-female crew that would fly from Dallas all the way to Phoenix, cause that's where uh, Bessie Coleman did a lot of her flying in Phoenix. And so they put together all-female crew. The customer representative was female. The, the baggage handlers, they were all black females. 
the flight attendants, black females. The co-pilot was a black female. The captain of the plane was a black female. And then they were able to take off from Dallas and fly at 35,000 feet and land in their destination in Phoenix. It's the first time it's ever been done. But the reason why they could take off and fly that high and get to their destination is because some black sisters came together to make it happen. You don't know what God is going to do when y'all turn to each other and not on each other. You don't know what height God is going to take you. These are just some sisters trying to figure out how to survive. And Leah, this sister, decided that if I'm going to survive in this male-dominated society where my own father doesn't even see me clearly, that, that the, 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 my husband don't see me clearly, she thought the way for me to survive is, is I have to get with a man. And I'm not mad at her for wanting to get with a man my issue with her is she got with the wrong man. Because sisters, you choose who you're in a friendship with. You decide who you're in relationship with. You decide who you marry. And whatever you do, do not turn to the wrong man. And I know this is the wrong man because this, this man is already committed to another woman. He's already worked seven years for Rachel. He's already waited seven years to marry Rachel. He's already called Rachel his wife. Now, you know, if a man is calling somebody else his wife, then you connecting with the wrong man. Y'all ain't got to say amen. I already know I'm preaching the truth. That's the wrong man. And I'm bringing it up because you can't get to the right man when you're wasting your time with the wrong man. What you walk away from always determines what you walk into. When you finally decide, I'm going to walk away from this wrong man, then God will walk you to the right man. She's just trying to survive, but you're doing it with the wrong man. He's already committed to somebody else. He already loves somebody else. And then we, we know it, it, it ain't the right man because you can't be yourself. He had, he had worked seven years for Rachel. He had an agreement with the father. After seven years, I get to marry Rachel. He did that, and he tells, tells the father, all right, give me my wife, Rachel. And then there's a bachelor's party thrown, and Jacob gets, he's drinking and getting drunk in the morning and drinking and drunkenness in the afternoon and drinking and drunkenness in the evening. Now it's at night. He's ready to consummate his marriage with Rachel, but it's so dark and he's so drunk he can't tell one sister from another. So instead of Rachel coming in, here comes Leah. But she comes in with a veil on, and she's walking like her sister, and she's trying to talk like her sister, and she has movement like her sister because she knows this man ain't going to accept me for who I am. So I got to pretend to be, that's when you know you with the wrong man, when you can't be yourself. When they can't appreciate you for who you are and love you for who you are, because God didn't make you too tall or too short or too wide or too thin or too black or too light. God made you just the way he wants you to be. And if a man can't appreciate that, that's because you ain't with the right man. And, and understand this. This appreciation and acceptance for this sister doesn't start with the brother. It starts with the sister. 
there are some, not all women, but there are some sisters that have issues with self-esteem and self-image. Then they get mad at a brother because he won't accept me for the way I am. He won't love me for who I You don't love yourself for the way you are. It don't start with the brother, it starts with the sister. Your appreciation for yourself, your acceptance of yourself, your love for yourself. You want a brother to love you and you don't love you. You want a brother to respect you and you don't respect you. It doesn't start with the brother, it starts with the sister. Somebody did research on this. I don't know how they researched it, but they came to this conclusion that in, in a year's time, the average sister will look in the mirror 1,460 times. And out of 1,460 times in a year looking at herself, she walks away 1,460 times saying something negative about what she saw in the mirror. So 1,460 times looks in the mirror and then walks away criticizing because she don't like what she sees. And now mad at a brother because he won't compliment you. You won't even compliment yourself. You mad at him because he don't want to live with you. You don't even want to live with you. You don't even like you. Now you want somebody else to like you. I look in the mirror 1,460 times a year too, and I give myself 1,460 compliments. Every time I look in the mirror, I compliment my, I'm the first one every morning to compliment me. I don't even wait on Lady Sharon. I, I speak to myself, dang, you fine, dude. You are tall, dark, and handsome. Good morning, handsome. You got to appreciate who you are, and then you're in a, a position where somebody else can appreciate you. But when, when, when you got a man that you can't be yourself around, when you got a man that's already committed to somebody else, and now you keep running into this man's bedroom and you know he doesn't love you. The text, I, the verse I read to you said that when God saw Leah was unloved. That's in the, King, that's in the New King James Version. When God saw she was unloved. Because the New King James Version is being tactful and nice. King James Version says when God saw that Leah was hated, she keeps getting in bed with a man who hates her. And she knows he hates her. Because verse 32 said, she, she has a son named Reuben and says, now this, this man is going to love me because I just had his son. So you know he doesn't love you. And you keep jumping in the bed with him. Wait, then she had another son. Then she had another son. Then she had another son, chapter 30. Then she had another son, then another son, then a daughter. Seven kids with this man that she know doesn't love her. And just keep jumping in the bed with the wrong man. And she thinks this is how you're going to survive? There was a fire just, uh, just, just this past week. In, uh, in Chicago, Illinois, an apartment building called Fire. An eight-year-old girl is in her bedroom, smoke and fire starting to head her way. She's trying to figure out, how am I going to survive this fire, this smoke inhalation and all that? And at and eight years old, she, she had the wherewithal to take her mattress from her bed, throw it out the window. She's on the third floor. And, and the mattress lands... She jumps out the window from the third floor 
and lands on the mat. No broken bones, no injuries, no, praise God, she landed in the right spot. But it, she was eight years old, and she was trying to figure out, how am I going to survive this? She came to the conclusion, if I keep this bed in this environment, I'm not going to survive. The only way I'm going to make it is to relocate my bed and jump. And God told me to tell somebody, you know you in an environment that you ain't going to make it with your bed in that environment. And told me to tell you, relocate your bed and then take a leap of faith and trust God will make everything all right. You make the choice on who you, you, you need to make sure you have a right relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. You got to believe Jesus died on the cross. You got to believe God raised him from the dead. You got to receive him into your life. Because if you don't have that relationship right with God, how are you going to have it right with somebody else? When you get it right with God, that puts you in a position of having relationship right with any and everybody you come across. Then when you're making your choice, you need to choose a man that has a right relationship with God. You don't want to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. What does a saint have to do with a sinner? You don't want to marry that? Marriage is is already a challenge with a Christian. Don't say amen, just look at amen for me. It's already a challenge with a Christian. Then you're going to try it with a non-Christian? You need somebody to believe in the same Jesus you believe in, same God, same Holy Spirit, same Bible. Do I have a witness in this place? I know it's a tale of two cities, but let me say something about this brother Jacob. Because Jacob, you... Somebody should have told you, brother, don't get the wrong sister in your bed. You, you calling one sister wife, then you bringing another sister in your bed. Now, the first time you were deceived by leaven, first time you were deceived, they had a veil on. You were drunken in the dark. That was the first time. But now you keep going back to the same and you hate her, you know you don't love her, but you keep, that's how you know it's the wrong sister, because you ain't got no love for this sister. And you keep going back over and over and over and over again with no love, no emotion, no feeling, no compassion, but keep jumping in bed. Is that where we are now? Is that, did we de-evolve some kind of way? No love. Just, are we just at animal, animalistic instincts now? It, I mean, even Jesus calls some men dogs. I said, even Jesus calls some men. Jesus said, don't give that which is holy to the dogs. When he said, don't give that which is holy to the dogs, he wasn't talking about that little poodle you got at home with the sweater on. No. He was talking about men with animalistic attitudes, men with beastly behavior, men who will keep jumping into bed with you even though they don't care anything about you. And I'm, brother, I'm trying to help you because that's a big mistake when you get the wrong sister in your bed some of y'all, you ain't got to say amen. Just look at amen for him. You know what that's like to have the wrong sister in your bed, especially when you already married. 
The number one reason for divorce in America is infidelity. It's adultery. Whatever's going on in your marriage. Y'all, the answer to a bad marriage is not divorce, and the answer to a bad marriage is not bringing in another sister. You, how do you think that, that's going to help your marriage? You done brought another sister into this situation. Now, let me say this, because I don't want y'all on social media misquoting me. God is the one who has given us the gift of sex. There ain't nothing wrong with the bed when you got the right sister in there. So God has given us the gift of sex. Man didn't invent sex. Sisters didn't invent sex. God is the one that gave us the gift of sex. And I'm going to say this too. When God, when God created sex, he was beside himself. I mean, that's the best creation that God came up with. I know y'all, the oldest son, the moon, the stars, the rivers. and the, No, God was doing the daggone thing when he came up with the gift of sex. Sex is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It's fantastic. And then, then God put boundaries with his gift. He said, Jeffrey Johnson, I'm going to give you the gift of sex, but the bed is undefiled in marriage. Contrastly, the bed is defiled outside of marriage. We've taken the gift that God has given to us and made it polluted and dirty and nasty and filthy. And it's a wonderful gift that God has given. And this is so significant because I, I, the first book I ever wrote was, I think, I, I think I've written nine or ten books, but the first one I ever wrote was about a decade ago. I wrote uh, a book called Song of Solomon, Love, Sex, and Relationships. And one of the things I discussed in Song of Solomon, Love, Sex, and Relationship was meeting needs in marriage. I believe the reason why we're having so many divorces and so many people are unhappy and, and dissatisfied in marriage because they have unmet needs. So I talked about here are the needs of a wife and then here are the needs of a husband and needs of wives and husbands are so diverse. They're so different because God made us so different. Not, not that one is inferior to the other. We just different. So there are different needs. So if you, the answer to a bad marriage is not divorce, is meeting needs, understanding what the need is for a husband and wife. I'm not going to go through all of that, but I will tell you that the number one need for a wife is intimacy. And the number one need for a husband is sex. I know that's generic, right? That's in general. There are always exceptions. That's why you got to have communication in a marriage so that y'all can tell each other, here's what my needs are. But generally speaking, the number one need for a wife is intimacy. The number one need for a husband is sex. When I was preparing, when I was doing the research for the book, I had an aha moment when I found out the number one need for a wife is intimacy and that wives desire intimacy as much as husbands desire sex. And when I thought about Lady Sharon, you mean to tell me that's how bad you desire intimacy? At the level, I, okay, y'all ain't getting this stage. <laughs> I'm trying to show y'all how significant it is. Because, y'all, 
the, the first commandment God ever gave humanity, the very first commandment God ever gave humanity was to have sex. First commandment. It was not love God and love others. It was not love your wife the way Christ loved the church. It was not honor your mother and father and your days will be long. No, the first commandment that God gave humanity was to have sex. I already know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor, you know, I didn't study religion and philosophy like you did in school, but I read the book of Genesis and I didn't see God commanding anybody to have sex. Yes, it's, it's on page one in the Bible. Page one, the first page of the Bible. He, God created Adam and Eve after his own image and then told them, be fruitful and multiply. What do you think they're going to do to be fruitful and multiply? Because the, the sex gift is so significant and important. It's on the first page of the Bible. So I'm not trying to belittle this. You just want to make sure you got the right sister in your bed because if you get the wrong sister in your bed, man, it's going to throw your stuff off at, for, for Jacob for years. You're talking about a dysfunctional family. This dude had 13 children by four different women. They all living in the same house. Is that dysfunctional to y'all? All because it started because he got the wrong sister in his bed. Um, Steve Irwin is... He's, he's, he died, but the Crocodile Hunter, I used to watch the Crocodile Hunter all the time. Steve, Steve Irwin, he wrestled alligators. Y'all remember that? He'd fight bears and stuff like that, wrestling crocodiles and feeding tigers. I used to, I, used to, I saw him one time, he was in a dark cave and a snake jumped out and tried to bite him. And Steve Irwin said, oh my goodness, had he gotten to me, I would have died in minutes. He's so poisonous. I watched him all the time, and then he died, and I, was, I had to grieve because Steve Irwin died. He didn't die from fighting alligators and crocodiles and lions and tigers and bears. He, he died when he was swimming with, with stingrays, and if y'all know anything about stingrays, they are very docile. You go to amusement parks, kids over there petting stingrays, they're very docile. And, uh, and gentle and all that kind of stuff. But he was swimming with them. And, and Steve Irwin, he, he swam over a stingray. And I guess he startled the stingray. And, and out of instinct and reaction, the stingray stuck his, his tail right in the chest of Steve Irwin. And it hit him right in his heart. And the reason why the crocodile hunter didn't make it, because he got the wrong tail in his heart. Okay, let me, last thing and I'm done. Last thing and I'm finished. Last thing. Because a lot of twists and turns in relationships, but you the one making the choice and the decision. And we need to learn how to turn to, to the right support system. Need to turn to the right man, the right woman, right? But you also need to learn how to turn to God. It's so much grace and favor and mercy of God in Genesis 29 and 30. Because when God saw that this sister was unloved, then God began to demonstrate his love. Because when there's a, a brother or a sister and they don't love you, you ain't got to jump off a bridge. You got the love of God. And you know you got the love of God because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. 
God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. You got the love of God and God shows up in the midst of this dysfunction. Had she learned how to turn to God, she could have understood, I'm getting ready to survive. Not only survive, I'm getting ready to thrive. I don't care what my father thinks about me. I don't care what this man thinks about me. I don't care what mistakes I made. When you turn to God, you can survive and thrive because God takes these children that she has and does something incredible and amazing with the children. This is a dysfunctional family. She had, verse 32, the first son she had, she named Reuben. Reuben means notice me. Because she actually she's doing what her father did. Her father misused her to manipulate a situation for his own profit. And now here she is because she got it from her father. She's, she's misusing her own children to manipulate a man for her own advantage. That's why when she named her son, her first son Reuben, Normally, Hebrew people name their children based on character and nature and destiny, not her. She trying to get this man. She names her son Reuben, notice me, because he didn't notice her before the, the baby. Now she think, now his son, he going to notice me, and he didn't. She jumped back into bed with him anyway. They had a second son named Simeon. Simeon means hear me. Because he didn't listen to her before she had the baby. She thought, if I have his son, he'll hear me. And he didn't. She had a third child, named him Levi. Levi means attached to me, connect with me. Because there was a disconnect before the baby. She thought, if I have another son for him, now he'll connect with me. I wanted to ask this sister, how many babies does it take? Before you realize having a man's baby is not going to bind him to you. Having his children is not going to connect him to you. That is not the right strategy. They had a fourth son. The fourth son, she named him Judah. Things are changing now because Judah means worthy to be praised. She took the focus off the man, put the focus on God, worthy to be praised. And the text says she stopped having children. When the focus was off of the man and put on God, she did properly with her children. But in the next chapter, she takes the focus off of God, puts it right back on the wrong man and all of this dysfunction. And God says that even though there's dysfunction, even though y'all ain't loving each other right, this is a messed up marriage, it's ruptured relationship, but I'm going to show mercy, favor, and grace through your children. I'm going to make it, so I'm going to do something awesome through your children, even when you didn't do right by them. I wish I had time to testify about the dysfunctional family I came out of, but when I turned to God, God turned it around for me. Do I have a witness in this place? No, because some of y'all worrying about your children. You're worrying about your children. You, you have messed up friendships and fractured friendships and ungodly relationships. Messed up, man, all that stuff. And now you weren't. I wonder how my children are going to turn out. Here's what, when you turn to God, you're going to survive and thrive. Here's what God did. God took the 12 sons that, that, that this brother had, and they became the progenitors of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why you're familiar with the names. Reuben, Levi, Simeon, Judah. Y'all, those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the progenitors for the 12 tribes of Israel. 
the 12 tribes of Israel became the nation of Israel. Through the nation of Israel, that's where God sent his only begotten son through that nation. So that now all the nations of the world are going to be blessed because of these children. Y'all got to get this. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved because God took these children out of this dysfunctional family and did something uniquely special with them. I'll close with this. I'm just trying to get you to turn to God and watch God turn it around for you. That's what I'm trying to get across. I'll close it with this. I was trying to remember uh, if I told y'all about Zamir, this, this baby Zamir, when, when, when he was born, his mother was 14 years old, Zamir. And she's 14 and uh, no husband. And when she was six months pregnant, with Zamir, they go get this ultrasound, prenatal care, and the doctor tells the 14-year-old girl and her mother that something is not quite right with the baby. He only weighs one pound after six months. And the ultrasound has shown us that he has some disorder and disease about him. And we're recommending that you get an abortion because this baby will not be able to live long outside the womb. Can you imagine being a 14-year-old girl pregnant with a baby, no husband, and the, the expert doctor you're depending on for care is telling you to get an abortion of your baby? But the grandmother told the daughter and the doctor, we don't get abortions in this family. We have our children. We believe God wants us to have our babies. We don't do that. And the grandmother said, even if the baby only lives to take one breath outside the womb, we believe we're in the will of God. So they went on the next three months that they had the baby and the doctor was right. All kind of issues with Zamir. He had a cleft palate, a cleft lip. He had so much going on inside of him with disorder that the doctor said, I'm giving him two weeks to live. Two weeks life expect 14 year old girl hearing from the expert doctor your son has two weeks to live and and but he lived longer than two matter of fact he was in the hospital for four months but they had to do one surgery after another for four months and the doctor told them if he lives longer than two weeks he will never be normal it's too much just going on with him it's too much he'll never be normal. And they didn't abort that baby. They had that baby anyway. Let me fast forward 18 years. 18 years, he's in high school and he's playing football. He's a running back. And Zamir White is ranked as the best running back in high school football in all of the United States of America. The doctor's right. That ain't normal. Then he gets a scholarship to the University of Georgia for a full ride to play football. The doctor's right. That ain't normal. He becomes the best running back at the University of Georgia playing football, an undefeated team, and that ain't normal. Then the University of Georgia, Georgia beats the University Alabama University for the championship football game this past season. That's the best football team in the last 10 years. But Zamir White, and Georgia won the game? That ain't normal. Then he gets drafted into the NFL, Zamir White, with the Las Vegas Raiders? Y'all, that ain't normal. 
And a couple of months ago, at 22 years old, he signed a multi-million dollar contract. The doctor is right. That ain't normal. Because when you turn it over to God, God turns it around for you. Do I have a witness in here? It won't always be like this. God is perfecting that concerning you. Sooner or later, I wish I had a witness in here. It'll turn in your favor. He's turning it around for, around for you. Don't you give up. Don't you throw in the towel. Don't you lose your mind. Don't you turn to drugs and alcohol. I know I got at least one witness in here that knows that God steps in the midst of dysfunction and he works it out for your good. If you believe me, then shout, yes, he will. Yes, he will. 